alluded to my first time preaching while pregnant. So yes, I am 32 weeks pregnant. So you can see there is this safety stool back here. So if I go and grab it and like need to sit down, it's just, you know, standing has become a little bit more difficult lately. So uh, that's what that's there for. <laughs> Number two, public speaking, it's not really my thing. Uh, I'm much more of a behind the scenes, you know, let other people do the talking kind of person. Uh, some of you would remember, uh, I did an internship placement here uh, last winter, and I remember in one of my first meetings with Pastor Paul on internship, he asked if I wanted to preach on a Sunday, and I replied, do I have to? <laughs> and the answer uh, was no. I was able to fulfill my internship requirements in other ways, but this time around, Coming on staff, uh, Pastor Paul, he came to my office, and this time instead of asking, do you want to preach, the question had changed to when would you like to preach? Yeah, this time around it wasn't optional. But all joking aside, uh, it truly is an honor to bring the word to you this morning. And I hope that you knowing that I'm up here and I'm a little bit nervous and this is a little bit outside my comfort zone, I hope that helps communicate that you know, I'm not up here on my own strength. It's only through God that I have the ability to stand before you today and to preach his word. And so today, uh, I hope you hear his voice and not mine, because my voice and the words that they say on their own, they're nothing special. But God's voice and his word is the most special voice you'll ever hear. So God, again, we just come to you and we ask that it be your voice that is heard throughout this auditorium today. May you speak directly to the hearts of your people. And may we all leave this place today different than when we came in. Because you have moved in our lives. Amen. So like I said, today we're continuing on in our series on 1 John. And uh, I don't know about you, uh, but the past two weeks uh, we've been uh, going through this book, it's been really encouraging for me. And I feel like I've learned so much as there's a lot that you can take away from this small book. Uh, in the first week, Pastor John Mark said how, you know, 1 John is just one of those books that we don't always think of right away. Maybe we pass over sometimes, like it's pretty tiny, it's right at the end. And I'll be honest, when I found out that 1 John was a series that I'd be preaching on, I was like, really? Like, why 1 John? Like, what's in 1 John? You know, there was no Bible college class on 1 John. Why couldn't we be doing a series on Hebrews instead? Like, I took a full semester course on that book. Or, you know, even Paul's letters. Like, I've read those thousands of times. But after going through this series... I now know the answer to why 1 John, and I hope that if you've been following along with us that you've recognized it too. Uh, it's a small book that is filled with so much practical advice for Christians, and it serves as a really great reminder for us of some of the basic principles that Jesus taught. And even though it was written to a very specific group of people, it's still so applicable to us today. And if you want to hear more uh, about the context of the book, then I'd encourage you to go back and to listen to the past two weeks of teaching, as Pastor John Mark and Cameron did a really great job of setting that up for us. But, but in case you missed it, uh, those weeks, just quickly I'll give you a few key points to keep in mind. Uh, so first, the author is believed to be uh, John, the apostle. And he is writing to a group of believers, likely those he was pastoring. So he had a very close relationship with these people. 
And number three, the community had been faced with lots of false teaching and, you know, debates were arising about whether Jesus was the Messiah or not. And this actually caused a bit of a split in the church. And John is writing to those who stayed and believed in the message that Jesus is the Messiah. And he writes to encourage them to hold on to that truth. So the two main themes of this book are God is light and God is love. And chapter three sort of acts as this bridge between chapters one and two, which were very much about the light and walking in the truth. And then chapters four and five, which focus heavily on the theme of love. So we've got this uh, middle chapter here uh, that sort of acts as the intersection of these two themes and shows how they tie together. And then amidst the, these two themes, we've also been exploring these different contrasts that John focuses on. So the first one was light versus darkness. And then last week, we talked about truth versus falsehood. And in chapter three, John sort of uh, shifts gears a little bit, and he shows us what we are to do with everything that he just said. It's more like the application section. You know, instead of just talking about walking in the light, John now goes on to write about how believers are to walk in the light. How we are to live as people who know the truth. Because knowledge and understanding of truth are best demonstrated by action. Understanding the truth is really just the first part of the equation. And so today, as we look at chapter 3, the contrast that we see is saying versus doing. If we claim to know the truth and that the truth has set us free, how should that affect how we live our life? It's one thing to say that we know Jesus, but it's another thing to live out that we know Jesus. So let's get right into it. I love how 1 John 3 starts us off. And if you have your Bibles with you, you can open up to 1 John 3, and we're going to start by reading verses 1 to 3. It says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But what we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Children of God, what a title to be given. Anyone who knows the truth and believes in Jesus as the Messiah has been welcomed into the family of God. And in no way is this any sort of human achievement. Uh, the definition of lavish is to bestow something in generous or extravagant quantities. So it just paints this really beautiful picture of God generously welcoming us into his family, bestowing on us something extravagant that we could never earn for ourselves. So like was mentioned, I'll be welcoming a little child into my family very soon. And uh, this is my first child, so I can only imagine that this idea of being God's child will come to light in a whole new way after having a child of my own. But you know, I've been reflecting on it like this, I haven't even met this little baby inside my womb, and I'm already so in love with him. 
You know, Chris and I, as new parents, we've been uh, busy preparing the past 30-plus weeks to welcome this little baby into our family. And the love that we feel is already so huge. I haven't even met him yet. But just the fact that he exists is enough for me to love him. And it's the same with God. Just the fact that you exist is enough for God to say, I love you. You are my child. I want you in my family. He died on the cross for you before you even existed in this world. Talk about extreme love, a love that's not earned based on what we do. A membership into God's family is by grace alone, a gift of God. But the imparting of this gift is dependent on human reception. The gift to be God's child is always freely offered to all but there's always two actions that need to be performed when it comes to gifts. There's the giving and the receiving. And this gift of God, it's always freely given, but not always accepted. Some people, they'll choose to go the way of darkness instead of light. You know, they choose to believe the lies instead of the truth. And from verses 4 to 15, uh, we see John, the author, talk about two things that hinder this beautiful relationship that God has called us into, and that is sin and hatred. And those who are children of God are called to a different standard. In fact, being a child of God is not compatible with a life that is defined by sin and hate. So in verse 6, John writes, No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. So living a life of sin keeps one from being a child of God. You know, it keeps them from walking in the light. And now here, John doesn't mean that someone who is a child of God cannot sin. Uh, It's not the complete cessation of sin in one's life, but rather it's a life that is not characterized by sin. Humans are sinful by nature, and even when we strive to be like God and we pursue holiness, there are still going to be times uh, when we mess up and we fall into that trap of sin. But the difference between those who are born of God and those who don't know God, according to John, is that those born of God will not continue in the ways of sin. You know, when we mess up, we realize our mistakes and we seek forgiveness. And thanks to God's amazing grace for his children, He forgives and he washes us clean every single time we ask for forgiveness. So looking back to verse 2, what we read uh, earlier, it said, What we will be has not yet been made known, but when Christ appears, we shall be like him. So here John gives this sort of mysterious reminder that this life isn't it. You know, Jesus, Jesus is coming to redeem his creation, and it's this promise that we need to be constantly reminded of, that there is this glorious hope ahead. And for now, until that day comes, John gives clear instruction to purify ourselves, to strive to be like Jesus in our daily lives. Someday we will come face to face with our Savior, and so John is reminding us of the importance of being ready and to do what we can on earth, to purify ourselves, knowing that we will never be perfect until Christ comes again, and he makes us fully like him. As we continue on in this passage, we read of John's warning to the church to be aware of those who want to lead them astray. 
So there were many at the time of John's writing who were making uh, false claims and trying to cause this confusion for the believers. Specifically, one of the ideas that was popular at this time was people who believed that they could be righteous without practicing righteousness. But this is something that John is warning against. And it's here that we really start to see this contrast of saying versus doing. We can't just say we are a child of God and we are awaiting Christ's return, but not do anything in the meantime. John calls believers to action. So jumping down to verse 10, it says, This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. So here, John clearly lays out the two sides. He says there's children of God and there's children of the devil. You know, there's no in-between. You either live in the light or you live in the darkness. And the way to recognize who is a child of God is demonstrated by our faith and how our faith is lived out in action and by our love. So being a child of God involves a complete life change, a move away from a habitual life of sin. N.T. Wright expresses it like this. He says, to carry on as though no, no change of life was required is to show whose side you are on, and it isn't God's. Being a child of God, a person who walks in the light, should be a completely different person than they were prior to knowing Jesus. And their life, instead of being characterized by sin and hate, should be evidenced by love. So love, uh, this is not a new commandment. Um, and as, as we've seen in the past couple weeks of studying the book of 1 John, uh, John is essentially like re-preaching the message that Jesus taught while he was on earth. John was a first-hand witness of Jesus' life and ministry, and so he got to learn directly from Jesus. And now in his writing to those he is leading in his community, we can see the similarities of the message preached in the Gospels. So this concept of love, uh, it's nothing new. In Matthew 22, Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was. And his reply in verses 37 to 40 was this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So now John is reminding believers that love is the preeminent Christian virtue. So I mentioned earlier that sin and hate are, are two things that are shown in this chapter to hinder people living as children of God. Uh, they are things that have caused this division between God and humans in the first place. And John goes on to illustrate this by referring to the example of Cain. So in Genesis 4, we read the account of Cain, who was the son of Adam and Eve. And Cain, he was jealous of his brother Abel. And this jealousy led to extreme hate and murder. Cain killed his brother Abel. And so here John presents Cain as this supreme example of hate. And in verse 15, he writes, anyone who hates a brother or a sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. But then in verse 16, he contrasts this with the supreme example 
of love, Jesus. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. This is the greatest act of love that the world has ever seen. And so it's interesting uh, to see here how John uses these two contrasting examples to show us how we are to live. You know, Cain's hatred led to murder, but Christ's love to self-sacrifice. And John gives believers the same command. We ought to lay down our lives for others just as Christ laid down his life for us. Now, that doesn't mean that we all have to go and sacrifice our life in order to show love. Uh, Love is the willingness to surrender that which has value for our own life to enrich the life of another. So love just involves sacrifice, not necessarily of your entire life, but sacrificing something from your life to benefit another. So this could be you know, material possessions, giving up of time, resources, anything that shows that you're putting someone else's needs above your own. And John further drives home this point by writing, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or a sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Showing love through our actions is a need for any relationship. Uh, You know, it's easy for someone to say they love you, but it's when that love is demonstrated that it really shows you, okay, this person does care. Love is not just words. Love has to be shown. I'm sure we've all heard the phrase, actions speak louder than words. And you know, it's true, and that's what John is getting at here. Love needs to be put into action. You know, it's not enough to see a brother or a sister hurting, say you love them, and then move on with your life. Our love for others needs to be put into action. And this concept is, again, similar to a story that Jesus taught about the Good Samaritan. And this is a story that I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with. Uh, A man gets attacked, all his possessions are stolen, he's beaten up, and he's left lying on the side of the road. And down along the road comes a priest. And you know, you would think that a priest would stop and would help this poor guy who is clearly hurting and in need. But the priest looks the other way, and he keeps walking. And next, a Levite man comes walking down the road, and again, same thing, he passes by the man without offering any kind of help. You know, these are people that claimed to know God, yet they showed no concern for this hurting man. Next, a Samaritan walks down the road, and he seems, he sees the man, and he seems like he should be the most unlikely person to stop and help, but that's not the case. He immediately sees the man and he goes above and beyond to care for him and to help him. He cares for his wounds and then he takes him to an inn where he pays out of his own pocket to have this man taken care of. Talk about self-sacrifice. And then do you see the difference here between, you know, saying and doing? The priest and the Levite, they were sayers. They could talk all day about God, and they knew the law inside and out. But when it came to showing that and actually putting love into action, 
they completely missed it. Where have we missed it? It's easy for us to, to judge the people in this story who didn't stop and help the hurting man, but it's also easy for us to miss the opportunities that God gives to show love to those around us. Church, it's not just enough to say that we love God or say we love our neighbor. We're called to show God's love to the world. Aren't you thankful that when Jesus came to earth, he didn't just say he loved the world? Aren't you thankful that he showed it in the ultimate way? And it wasn't the easy way. He suffered. He gave up everything. He endured the most painful death. And he did it because he loves you. He made a way for you to be welcomed into his family as a child of God. And if you are here and you haven't made that decision to accept that gift yet, then I would love to talk with you more about that decision and pray with you after this service. And for those who have made the decision to follow Jesus, this message, it may not have been anything really super new to you. You know, maybe it's been full of concepts and things that you've heard a million times before, especially if you've been a Christian for a while or grown up in church. You know, you know we're supposed to turn away from sin. You know Jesus loves you. You know we're called to show that same love to others. But sometimes I think we just desperately need the reminder and the challenge to put what we know into action. And not even just once in a while in a Sunday sermon, I think it's something that we daily need to remind ourselves of. Because sometimes I think as Christians, we can get a little stuck in our ways and you know, we know the truth and we're great at saying that we're Christians and saying that we love God, but maybe the doing lacks a little sometimes. And so I'm here this morning to remind you of the command that we have been given to love God and others, and to love not just in word, but in action. And that can be hard sometimes. But let, you, let me remind you that we serve a good and a gracious God who is there to help us every step of the way. We can't love without him. You know, it's his love for us that helps us love others. So this morning, I want to challenge you to think about, you know, how you've been living the past couple weeks. And uh, as the worship team prepares to come and lead us in another song, let's do some honest reflection of our lives here today. Have you been putting your faith into action? Have you been showing Christ's love to those around you? How about the difficult people that God has asked you to love? Are there people that you need to forgive in order to let the love of God flow through you? Where have you missed it? And how can you make sure that you don't miss it again? Ask God to show you the people he has put in your life to show love to. Ask him to help you put your love into action. Ask him to open your eyes to the needs around you so that you don't miss it and you can make a difference for his kingdom. Church, our world needs Jesus. There are people all around us who are hurting and who are broken. There are people who are still living in the darkness, who have been told nothing but lies, and those lies are what they've come to believe. But we have the truth. 
We have the good news. We have the key to being freed from that darkness. And it's Jesus. And the way that we can show Jesus to our world is by taking action and showing the same love that Christ showed us. As the church, the body of Christ, let's commit to doing better. Let's not just be people who show up on a Sunday, people who hear and who know the truth but don't do anything with it. Let's be people who are beacons of his light and his love wherever we go. To end this chapter, John reminds his audience of God's two commands for all believers. To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another. So let's go and let's do the same by his grace and with his help. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your great love for us. I thank you that even amidst our sin and unrighteousness, God, that you chose us and you welcomed us into your family. You are such a good God and we praise you today for who you are. And God, I thank you for your words so full of truth and guidance for our lives. And I pray that you have spoken to your people today and that the truth was illuminated in, in their hearts and their minds. And I pray that we'll leave this place feeling challenged, that we won't let ourselves leave the same way that we came in. I pray that we will take this message, your message to us, and that we will apply it in our lives, that you will reveal to us how we can show your love to the world. Reveal to us the people in our lives that we need to forgive or the people that we need to learn to love. And may we leave this place today being a better reflection of who you are and live out the testimony of what you have done and continue to do in our lives. We love you and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.